Good morning, everybody. Welcome this morning to Lighthouse Bible Church. We thank the Lord for the extra hour of sleep. Let's begin by entering into prayer this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all your gifts. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, that you gave him to us. And when we were your enemies, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we thank you, Lord, that you raised him from the dead on the third day so that whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will never perish but have eternal life. Father, we also thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you, Father, this morning that we have the opportunity to hear your word as it's preached and celebrate the Lord's Supper, bringing to remembrance the death of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Father, for all those who are suffering in any way, especially those who are members of our congregation. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, let us stand to, uh, to sing a song as we begin this morning. You may be seated. As this is the first Sunday of November, unbelievable, um, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. After the service this morning, also keep in mind that Pastor Kingsley is now on his mission trip to the West Indies. He gave me a little update yesterday. Um, it's already snowing in Toronto, if you can believe that. So they were stuck uh, in the airport for a few hours, but he did make it fine, and he's beginning his uh, missionary work this morning. Please keep him in prayer. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. We pray for fruit and for, of course, his safety also. Once again, remember that we are supporting a, a ministry now in, in India. Pastor Adams' congregation is uh, running that ministry. It's called the Healing Hands of Christ Home for Lepers. Please keep that in prayer. We are supporting that financially. At this time, we are providing funds for 35 residents. Um, if that's something that you uh, feel motivated to give to, by all means, do so. Also, speaking of a giving opportunity, we are also once again participating in Grace Bible Church Pakistan's Christmas care packages. They're, they have four, three actually student uniforms, children's gifts, and family rations. And again, we can be participating in that until the end of this year in both cases. Just remember, you can send your gifts to the church, Lighthouse Bible Church, and indicate on your in your giving, whatever manner, by check or, or credit card, um, where you'd like us to direct that gift. Also, I want to note a scheduling note, and that is that this, uh, of course, this month is uh, the month where Thanksgiving is celebrated on Thursday, November 24th, because that is the day of our Bible study that week, Thursday the 24th, that day, Thanksgiving, we will not be having a Bible study. We'll, of course, have regular services the Sunday before and the Sunday after, but that Thursday, we will not have a Bible study. Let's begin this morning. The title of today's message comes from the book of Hebrews, and it is the radiance of his glory, the radiance of his glory. We have been studying a series on the nature of man. We have seen man as he was originally created by the Lord God. And then we also have seen man as he became after the fall. Sin, death also entered the world. And so death spread to all men. 
And we know that God condemned the entire human race through the transgression of one man, Adam. And from then forward, every human being with a human father was born dead in trespasses and sins. And each person was born without eternal life and without the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means to be a child of Adam. This is mankind in the first Adam. This morning, we will return to the unique humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we began. We began in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And we noticed that Jesus Christ was grieved in his spirit, in his human spirit. And we noted briefly the that the fact that in every possible way that we are human, so is the Lord Jesus Christ, with one exception. He was he had no sin. But whereas before we just noticed, observed the fact that he was human, today we are going to examine the uniqueness of his humanity and the different ways in which he is unique, totally unique, different from us in his humanity. This morning we will begin with his birth. His birth was unique. It was a unique birth. It will never be repeated again. Jesus Christ was born of a woman, but he was not born of a man. Please turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. For the first and only time in human history, a virgin was with child. And this child was conceived directly by the power of the Most High God. This child had no human father. But this child was conceived by the power of the Most High God. He was born, and at the moment of his birth, that birth became an occasion for the most amazing and startling events. Look at chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 8. In other words, his birth was announced. It was in humble, humble circumstances. And yet, the, the God provided the most startling and amazing display welcoming him into the world. We're going to look at one aspect of that here in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region, this is in Bethlehem of Judea, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, 
and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He will be a sign for you. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Dozens and hundreds of angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Both in the announcement of his birth to Mary and in this amazing display where his birth was announced to shepherds tending their flocks in the night. The angel of the Lord said the most amazing things about this baby also. This baby who was born of a woman, not born of a man. To Mary, she, he told her that, he, that this son, Jesus, would be called the son of the Most High. That the Lord God would give him the throne of his father, David. He's talking about, of course, the, the, the humanity of Jesus, this person who was born of a woman but had no human father, saying amazing things that were the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament, that he would one day reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever, forever, and his kingdom would have no end. It would go on forever. As an aside, it's interesting that the one thing that Mary was amazed at, and I suppose she should be, was the fact that she was a virgin. At the same time, think about all the amazing things that the, that the angel was telling her about that baby also. And of course, there would be a miraculous conception, power of the Most High overshadows Mary, and the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And here in chapter 2, once again, we have the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. Once again, people are terribly frightened by his appearance. Once again, he tells the people not to be afraid. And he brings the good news, the gospel, full of joy. And it's for everybody. And he says, today in the city of David, there's been born. Jesus was born of a woman, but had no human father. That's unique. But he's unique in so many ways, which we're going to look at this morning. One of which is he is the savior of the whole world. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he does that in his humanity. God can't die. Only a human being can. There needed to be a human that would become the mediator between God and man. That would be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. All this is true of this baby Jesus Christ, born of a woman with no human father. Not only is he a savior, but he is also Christ the Lord, the Messiah and God in the flesh. All of these things are amazing things that the very birth of Jesus Christ were proclaimed first to his mother and then to the shepherds. For the first and only time also, a human being was born without sin, without sin. It's because he didn't have a human father. And, and, and just as the sin of Adam was the first sin that brought sin to the entire human race and death to the entire human race, condemnation to the entire human race, the father would then pass down 
this sinfulness, this sin in the flesh to his child. Since Jesus did not have a human father, the, the sin was not transferred to him. For the first time and only time in human history, a, a human being would be born without sin. Please, we're going to look at a few passages that say exactly this, because it's an, another amazing, unique fact about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus' birth was unique. He was born of a woman who was a virgin. And for the first and only time, we have a human being born without sin. Born without sin. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God the Father said, my son, born of a woman, born sinless, never knew any sin, would now take on the sin of the world. He would literally be sin. He would be that sin offering who would bear the sin of the world and he would do it on the cross so that God's wrath would be poured out, not on him, but on sin. And he did all of that so that men and women born in trespasses and sins born without eternal life, born condemned, would instead, through simply believing in this perfect sacrifice on the cross of the person of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, would become the righteousness of God. So from the lowest of the low, a creature steeped in sin, born in sin, would then become the highest a human being can reach, and that would be the very righteousness of God credited to his or her account forever. And all that would happen in Christ. We receive nothing in and of ourselves. We receive everything because we're in Christ. And this is no different. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Because for the first and only time in human history, human being was born without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Remember that Hebrews, along with the Gospel of John, which we're studying, are the two most magnificent places to see the union of the humanity of Christ and his deity. They are side by side in both books. And we've seen that already. We've seen in the Gospel of John, the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the deity of the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, the Word... Deity, the Son of God, became flesh, God-man. And we see, we'll see the same thing in the book of Hebrews. The, chapter 1 is all about the deity of Christ. Chapter 2 is all about the humanity of Christ. Since we're looking at the humanity of Christ, we're going to focus this morning on passages that talk about his humanity. But we will, make, we will look also at one passage that links his humanity and his deity. And again, it will come at the very beginning of this book, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, first though, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. See, see, this unique humanity of Jesus Christ was also unique in the sense that he became our high priest 
And that was another essential function of of the mediator, that he would be the one. The priest, of course, represents the people before God. And so Jesus Christ had to become human, a unique human, in order to represent us before God in a perfect way. He would actually offer his blood on our behalf. Even today, he's interceding for us as the perfect high priest. He's praying for us. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He certainly can. He was human in every way. He went through all of the difficulties and pain and and frustrations, as it were, of being human. And yet, at the same time, notice, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Whenever we're tempted, the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father now, intervenes for us. And he intervenes in a, in a really unique way, which is he goes to the Father and says, Father, I've experienced the same temptation that they're having right now. I, I, I am without sin, and I, and I had um, the ability to resist and the, and the trust in you to resist every temptation. But these people are weak. These people were born dead in trespasses and sins. And so the Lord prays for us and asks that by the grace of God, we too would be able to resist that same temptation. He's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He would be tempted in the most incredible, intense ways in Luke chapter 4, which we won't look at today. But that's the passage where Satan himself comes into the wilderness after Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. And tempts him in ways which, thank God, we will never be tempted. And yet, he he did not give in to any of those temptations. And he also taught us how it is that we can resist all our temptations also. And it was very simple. It was three words. It is written. See, see all the power that we need to resist temptation, it, it isn't in us, but it is in the Word of God. And the Word of God, combined with the power of the Spirit gives us everything we need to resist each and every temptation in life. Now, we won't be perfect and flawless in that, but we certainly have access to amazing power to resist the temptations of the flesh, of the eyes, whatever they may be. Again, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and there it is, yet without sin. For the first and only time, human being was born without sin and never sinned in his entire life. Look at 1 John, whoops, yeah, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. Because he was sinless, he was the one and only human being who could be offered as perfect sacrifice, spotless lamb, on the cross. Because he was a human, he could be our high priest. Because he was human and tempted in every way that we are, he could be an effective high priest. Because he was tempted and had no sin, he can be the perfect high priest who would never have to make any offering for himself, but only an offering on behalf of sinful people. First John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, his very purpose in being born was that he could take away our sins. You know that he appeared in order to take away our sins. And notice in him, there there is no sin. In him, there is no sin. 
So the point here is that there are scriptures that definitely tell us that Jesus Christ was born human, but without sin. And not only for the first time was a human being born without sin in, in Bethlehem of Judea, but also for the first time and only time a child born of a woman was also God. God, the son of the most high, the son of God. He was conceived by means of the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father. And he was not only a human being, but for the first and only time in all of history, we have a child born of a woman who's also God himself. God himself. And that's the great mystery of the person of Christ. If we want to talk about his uniqueness, we can really begin and even end there because there's nothing more profound than the fact that a human being is also God. There's nothing more profound that we have a human being who had a beginning. He was born. And yet that he would have his he will have his humanity forever. And now this person who is human and born is also God. God always existed. Son of God has existed forever. But now this unique person, God in the flesh, will also exist forever as human as well as God. Now, that is about as unique as you can get. See, these are the ways in which Jesus Christ is different from any other human being. There are many, many ways in which he's the same. We saw that he's tempted in all things, was as we are. But there are also things that are entirely unique, never to be seen by any human being before or since, including Adam. Adam, first of all, was not born. He was made. He clearly had sin in his life. He clearly was obviously not God, although he was made in the image and likeness of God. But he wasn't God. This baby is God. Please look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to let the scriptures speak for themselves. They say it far better than any of us could. I mean, in, in, in this realm of, of, of meditating on, of, of glorifying God in the fact that God became man, we are totally ill-equipped. So we need to speak of. So we need to let the scriptures speak very simply. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. This is all the humanity of Jesus Christ. It tells us another reason why he was born. That one day the government, not just the government of Israel, as people in Isaiah's time would have understood, because they were looking forward to the Messiah. Not only that, but the government of the entire earth will one day rest on the shoulders of this human being, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman, a descendant of David. For this child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. His name will be called Mighty God. It's, 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 it's totally clear that this is a unique person in the universe. This is revealed in the Old Testament. This is, this is who the Jewish people should have welcomed because he, he fulfilled everything. He was matchless. And their own scriptures said that such a one would be born, that he would be the Messiah, he would be born of a woman, and he would be God. It's clear. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
notice this, eternal father. No human being other than Jesus Christ and not even in his humanity can be called eternal father. Eternal meaning always existed. Father meaning God the father. Okay, so he would have the name of God the father. He would be mighty God himself. He would be the prince of peace. That was revealed by Isaiah in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. And in the fullness of time, this child, born of a woman, destined to have the government of the whole earth rest on his shoulders, would come and be born. And he would come to earth with the name of Almighty God. Look at John chapter 1. Go to the New Testament to the Gospel of John. Because for the first and only time, a human being was born without sin. Remember, that was the curse of Adam, that every one of us is born in sin. And now we have one who's reversing the curse from his very birth. And everything, by the way, about his life served, as it were, to to reverse the curse that had been placed on the human race. That's another way of looking at the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that was that was done in terms of the the negativity, in terms of the corruption, in terms of the condemnation in the whole human race would be would be undone in the in a person, a human being, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh. There's that mystery. You know, we can and should. Uh, meditate on the glories of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. There are a few things that will that will improve your spirituality, maybe nothing that would improve it, more than simply meditating and considering the glories of Jesus Christ. That, that we are set our mind on the things above where Christ is. But 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 this this union of humanity and deity is something that we can we can meditate on and, and, and marvel at and, and go to the scriptures as we're doing this morning and just take them in anew and just, just again, meditate, contemplate, consider the, the, the wonder of what that's all about. Another thing that we can do the same is the death of Christ, which, again, is unique in human history. And it also has mysteries and depth to it that we will never sufficiently probe in this life. With our, with our limited mind, our limited information, all we have now, and it's wonderful too, is the revelation that God has given in his word. But the marvels of the death of Christ and all it has accomplished will reverberate throughout the universe for all time. Again, John 1:14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the, of the only begotten from the Father, This is exactly the same thing that Isaiah said about this child, right? That he would be born and that his name would be called Mighty God. And in the word became flesh. Jesus Christ dwelt among us and we saw his glory. This is the apostles now. They saw his glory. One of the times they saw his glory was when he was transfigured um, before their very eyes. And they saw the the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And Paul talks about him at the very beginning of his epistle to the Romans. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. We are taking a simple statement, which is a profound, profound reality. That for the first and only time, a child born of a woman is also God. Let's see how how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul, bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel, the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, his prophets like Isaiah, like like Isaiah 9, 6, where his promise, this one would be promised. Verse 3, concerning God's son, who was born. There we have it again. God's son, that's deity, was born. That's humanity. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Mary was of the line of David. So was Joseph. But when it says according to the flesh, remember, Joseph had nothing to do, as it were, with the flesh of Christ. Okay, Mary did. Concerning his son, God's only son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, but who's declared the son of God. This is before human eyes now, before everybody's eyes. How? With, the, with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God the Father raised him from the dead. It was a public event in the sense that Jesus appeared alive to hundreds and hundreds of people. It's it his his resurrection from the dead is the most detailed documented event in the ancient world, and it's irrefutable. And so that's what it means by declare the Son of God. Okay with power by the resurrection from the dead. Or as Colossians 2.9, I'm just going to put this up on the slides this morning. As Colossians 2.9 says, in a very, again, it's both direct and simple, and yet we we can probe this forever and still fall short of the total meaning, of the total reality that we're looking here at in Colossians 2.9. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, the fullness of deity reaches down into the depths of God himself, which only the spirit can 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 understand. And and we have certain aspects of the deity of, of God. It's kind of a repetition of God's essence. But we shouldn't kid ourselves that we know everything about God. That's a ridiculous statement. To me. We only know those things about God that he has chosen to reveal to us. There are depths of who he is that will never sufficiently probe. We will be doing that for all of eternity when we will be take. We will no longer have these bodies of corruption, these these minds that are limited. Right. And in, in, in a certain set, easily deceived, although we have the Holy Spirit and we are given the mind of Christ. But all of that is on a level that God has decided to reveal. But there's so much more. There's infinitely more. And that's why we are to meditate and dwell and consider that here's a human being, and yet all the fullness of deity dwells in his body. It's it's a miraculous thing. It, it is one of those things that should cause us to rejoice in the fact that we are who we are now because we are in him. All right? We are in him. 
all that, in other words, all that he has in his humanity, in a sense, God has performed on our behalf to reverse the curse, to say that as far down as humanity descended in the fall of Adam, corrupt, dead, sinful from head to toe, look how far up God the Father has brought another human being so that we can see that that, that God's original design is met in Christ, but also exceeded in him. Remember, we've seen that Adam was born of this earth. He was earthly in his humanity. Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, demonstrates that ultimately we are destined to be a heavenly form of humanity, just like he is. We'll never be God. We'll never be the savior of the world. But we will share in that glorified humanity. It's an amazing thing to consider. But in Christ, uniquely, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. If you want to know who God is, just keep your eyes on Jesus, because he is God as revealed to us. We need to go nowhere else. Now, we have to go to the scriptures because he's in heaven and we're on earth. But the scriptures, what they say about Jesus Christ reveals more than any other way who God is. Because in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And finally, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Remember, I've mentioned already today that the book of Hebrews is unique, joined by the Gospel of John, but uniquely powerful in the way in which the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are placed side by side. And so when we are witnessing to the truth about the person of Christ, right, we know we can go to two powerful books that clearly state it. There's no way that anyone can make an argument that the Bible does not say Jesus is God. But unfortunately, because Christians are often not steeped at all in the scriptures, right? We can be vulnerable, not so much us who study, uh, but, but Christians can be very vulnerable to the doubts, the attacks, the questions. But remember, just like any temptation, okay, it's, it's battled and defeated by simply the word of God. You cannot read chapter one of the Gospel of John and not know who Jesus Christ is in his uniqueness as God and man. You can't read Hebrews chapter one and two and not come away with being built up and edified to an amazing degree that Jesus Christ is the son of God in the flesh. John, the Gospel of John, the book of Hebrews, both do an amazing job presenting that. Not that we can understand it anywhere near the reality that's there, but we have enough to be convinced of this truth. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, the fathers are are the uh, nation of Israel, okay, particularly Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then the prophets come after them. He spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. Now, it was long ago. In these last days, you know, the expression last days, we, we tend to think of it from our perspective, and we tend to think of it as the last days are coming in the future, and it's when all, all, will, all the uh, prophecies of the future will be fulfilled. And that's certainly true. 
Christ. But actually, the Bible tells us that the last days of the church age, right? Because notice, in these last days, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was talking about in his time and called it the last days. In any event, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. Notice that. He spoke to us through prophets, and now he speaks to us in his son. And that is a far superior way for God to speak to us. Because now we have flesh and blood, just like us in all ways but sin, who also has God indwelling, telling us who God is. Not only telling us, but even more significantly showing us who's God, who God is. In every, in every aspect that's been revealed about him, Jesus Christ clearly demonstrates in his life the love of God. In fact, that's where we were in, in John chapter 11, that love, that compassion that he had for Mary and Martha on the death of their of their brother Lazarus. But you know what? Jesus Christ also reveals by his actions the righteousness of God, the justice of God. And we can't forget that. When he went to the cross, he went first and foremost there to validate the justice and righteousness of his father. And, and you see, in a very mysterious way, because he in his death did that, accomplished that. You see, now we come alongside and by simply believing in him, we get the benefit of that. We get the benefit that God's righteousness was vindicated at the cross and that God's righteousness is completely satisfied by the work and person of a human being, Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we simply, not by any work, not by any merits of our own, but simply believing in the truth, trusting in who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now we get credited with the very righteousness of God. And I'll tell you what. We bandy that term about. We talk about justification as if we've mastered it. Yes, it's God. I shouldn't make fun of this because it's the word of God and it's been revealed. So apologize for that. But but we have a we have we sometimes take it you know for granted is what I'm trying to say that we say oh yes we know the justification is us being declared righteous, but stop and think about it the immensity of what that means. It's not just being declared righteous in a human way. It's literally being credited with God's righteousness. That's amazing. And, and that's the kind of thing, if we simply meditate on that for a little while, you know, a lot of the problems that we have in our minds, because you want to know something, problems are ultimately problems because we make them so. Make them so. Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so our problems in life really shrink when we start to, again, simply meditate on the marvel of Jesus Christ in his birth, in the fact that he was sinless, in his death on the cross, and in the very fact that we are now, when we believe in Christ, credited with, seen as God, as his very own righteousness. It's amazing. I mean, if you, this is not our subject this morning, but if you were to go through the entire Old Testament and you would watch how the revelation of the righteousness of God and what it meant, both in a positive way and a negative way. Because remember, those who don't believe in Christ, okay, far from being credited with the righteousness of God, are instead under the wrath of God. This is what I mean about the justice that's involved in Jesus Christ. We never forget that, okay? 
perfectly just as well. And that does mean judgment. Yeah, justice is also judgment. It's, 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 it's being justice removes condemnation for those who believe, but justice uh, administers condemnation for those who don't. All right, Hebrews 1.1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. Notice this, whom he appointed heir of all things. This is Jesus in his humanity, the firstborn from the dead, through whom also he made the world. There's the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. Appointed heir of all things in his humanity. Jesus Christ one day is going to present all that he has reconciled through himself, the God-man, to the Father, he, is the, he's the, he, he has inherited all things in heaven and on earth, but he also made the world in his deity. Verse 3, notice this. He is the radiance of his glory. That's, the, that's where our title of the message. He is the, Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory. Whose glory? God's glory. And the exact representation of his nature. Another expression of the deity of Christ. You see, the, the writers of the scriptures um, also have the revelation of who Christ is, and they put it in human language. But the fact is that the human language has limitations. Our minds have limitations. Our capacity, even with the spirit of understanding these amazing truths, okay, is, is built into the words that have been revealed Think about it, the exact representation of his nature. You can take that expression one word at a time. Exact, not sort of, not some things and not others. Exact, it's a, it's a duplicate representation of what? The nature of God. And not only that, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. But this is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the one born of a woman, born without sin. Right now, he upholds all things in the universe. Notice by what? The word. The word of God, of his power. We so, I think, underestimate, underappreciate the power of the word of God. The power of God's word. Jesus Christ is right now upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins at the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Picture that for a moment. Picture the fact that Jesus Christ, born of a woman, died on the cross, was raised from the dead. Our advocate is seated today at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels. This is his humanity. In his humanity, he has become much better than the angels. He was born for a little while lower than the angels. But 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 now, through his resurrection, and the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high is better than no angel has ever sat at the right hand of God the Father. But Jesus does, and he's a human being. And that means, again, that, that, that he shares in these aspects of his humanity. He, we share in all that. We're in him, as he has inherited a more excellent name than the angels. While Jesus grew up in the same way that every boy grows up, and yet there was something supernatural about him. And this is most evident in his remarkable relationship with his father in heaven. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. 
He was born without sin. He's God in the flesh. He grew up. He was human. You know, day by day, as a as a as a child, he grew. As we're going to see, he grew not only in stature, in other words, his body, but also wisdom. Look, Luke chapter four two forty one. This is a, a an event that happened when he was twelve years old. Notice verse forty one of chapter two. Now his parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, Jesus. They went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And they went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple. That must have been a harrowing four days. Don't you know? You lose a child. You don't know where he is. But after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them. He didn't say to them, sorry, mom. He didn't say, I'll never do it again. No, instead, he said this. Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? He called the temple his father's house. And this shows the unique relationship. And we see it throughout his entire life. We see it in the Gospel of John. We've seen it. This unique relationship. See, not only is unique, he's unique as being born without sin. Not only unique because he is God in the flesh. He's unique in his relationship with the father. He's also unique in another way. The reason why he was born. Jesus The God-man came to undo the works of the devil. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Back to Hebrews. Saw his deity primarily in in our passage today in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Now we turn the page and we go to chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. And now let's see what's on display here. Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, we're human, in other words, he himself, Jesus Christ, also partook of the same. God in heaven, the Son of God, was willing to come down and take the form of a slave, essentially. That he partook of the same flesh and blood, God, who's, who is eternal and, and is everywhere, consented to be to be limited to the flesh and blood of a human. That through death, remember death was another consequence of the fall, he might notice this, render powerless. This is what happened at the cross. He rendered powerless. Who? Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. You know, this is another statement that a lot of Christians need to read over and over again. 
there's so much discussion and worry about the devil and all the power he has over us. Do you realize that as believers in Christ, in Christ, he's powerless against you? He's a toothless tiger. There's no power at all. What happens? All he can do is make noise and roar and tempt us and lie to us. But but those lies, right, Those the, the power of the word of God demolishes those lies. So he's powerless if we only had eyes to see the truth about who we are in Christ. Right? Render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. As believers in Christ who know the scriptures, we should not be afraid of death. We shouldn't. As a matter of fact, we should be at peace with death. As a matter of fact, at the right time, when God has revealed that we're close, we should rejoice in our death. The Bible actually says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Why? For one reason only, that Jesus Christ has defeated the power of death, and therefore we are freed from fear. But think of it. The Son of God left the glories of heaven, And again, that's another expression that is far beyond our ability to conceive of. We just have to take it on faith. The glories of heaven he left and became poor for our sake. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Yes, this message this morning is rich in the scriptures. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2.5, I mentioned this before, but in this particular passage, I uh, use the King James Version. It is far more accurate in this particular passage than the New American Standard or the other modern translations. In fact, they get it completely wrong in, in a couple of aspects. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, that's the opposite of what the New American Standard says. You see, he knew he was God and he didn't make any bones about it. He being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God yet, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave, a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, right? Body and soul and spirit. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Again, the Son of God left the glories of heaven and became poor so that we might become rich. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was scorned and rejected. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was nailed to the cross by godless men and put to death. And he did all that for ungodly human beings. In other words, he died for us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3.18. 1 Peter chapter 3.18. He died for us. He was scorned and rejected for us. He was beaten and humiliated for us. He was nailed to the cross by godless men. He was put to death for us. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, perfectly just for the unjust, that's us, 
so that he might bring us to God. Why did he do it? So he might bring us back to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And not only that, but first Peter tells us something also dramatic related to the humanity of Jesus Christ. He bore our sins in his human body on the cross. Again, that is something that blows away the imagination. How could it be that this human being was able to bear the sins of the world in his very body? He bore your sins and mine in his body. That's impossible to imagine how that must be, but yet the Bible says it, so we believe it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him, the Father, who noticed judges righteously. And he himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Truth, fact, the word of God, it is written. And we have, we believe it. We should believe it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. And by the way, at the moment we believe in Christ, the Bible says we die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. And he was born in a rich man's tomb, but death couldn't hold him. Look at now Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts, go back to the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And we're going to end here and we'll pick this up next week as we continue looking at the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. So this morning we've seen his birth, the fact that he was born sinless, the fact that he is God in the flesh, his unique relationship with the Father, his death on the cross for us and our sins. And now we're going to take a peek right now at what's next, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there we'll return next week to once again look at and marvel at this unique humanity of Christ in his resurrection and then beyond. And then what we'll do probably the week after is we'll then come back to humanity, the rest of us, and say, how is it that Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished now gets, as it were, transferred into those who believe in him? Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, this is Peter announcing the, 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 the good news. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, you know, Every time you see those two words, you ought to stop and model for a minute. This is the turnaround, right? What happened? He was put to death by the hands of godless man. But God, now what? Raised him up again. A human being. He came out of the grave. He was human when he went in, and he was human when he came out. 
but he was transformed when he came out. But God raised him up again, putting an end, notice this, to the agony of death. It's not talking about physical agony here. It's that agony of the soul of saying, I I don't know what's next. I'm afraid of death. He put an end to that, an agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And as we'll pick things up next week, he did so in a glorified but still human body. That's where we're going to pick things up next Sunday. Let's close in prayer and get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this morning we have a message full of mystery, full of incredible truth that we can but scratch the surface of in this life. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that he will bring out all the meaning of it that you've prepared for us. And what we are called to do is to completely turn our hearts over to your word, to come to it again and again and again, and to have the spirit reveal the truths that are here to us. We ask now, Father, that we would uh, participate in that very thing as we move to celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's stand and have a, a, a song to keep us to get us in the right frame of mind to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. There are enough facets of the death of Christ, enough meaning to last for eternity. In fact, they reach the very depths of God. The meanings that have, in the death of Christ, they reach to the very depths of God, his deepest thoughts, his wisdom, his genius, his love, and the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God are unsearchable, ultimately, the Bible says. And yet, God has revealed precious truths about the death of Christ in the scriptures. This morning, one word is all we're going to consider, and that one word is victory. Christ won an incalculable victory over his enemies at the cross. And as we prepare to eat the bread and drink the cup, We're going to just listen to one scripture that declares this victory at the cross. It's Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. And I recommend that you return to this passage again and again. The marvel of the death and resurrection of Christ and the victory that he won. Colossians 2, 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, disarmed them, the, the, the rulers and authorities, the demons, have been disarmed at the cross. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the death of Christ. And in so doing, we proclaim the greatest victory of all time, a victory whose repercussions will reverberate throughout the universe forever. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we leave today, help us to bring with us a new awareness of the victory that your son won at the cross. A victory that has repercussions for our lives now and for all of eternity. We thank you for that, Father. And we ask, too, Father, that you would look over and watch over and care for all of us, especially those who are in the most need this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, we're ready to be dismissed. Just a reminder um, that there are needs in the mission field for prayer and finances. Please keep that in mind and consider what it is that the Lord's calling you to do to help. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that you have prepared for us and provided in today's service. And we ask now, Father, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us and challenge us in the words that we have received this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. And you are dismissed.